This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. That's Huey Lewis and the news. Well, dominating the news, every news outlet, conservative outlets, liberal outlets, so-called non-political outlets, is this war in Ukraine. One of my favorite journalists is Michael Tracy. He's been kind enough to join us on the radio from time to time. I steal so much of my material from his tweets. If you ever hear me say anything that's really insightful, chances are I have plagiarized that from a Michael Tracy tweet. He's an independent journalist, and uh, he is right now joining us live from Poland. Michael, I, uh, I appreciate you joining us from a country where the time is a little bit more convenient for you to come on the radio with us. Yeah, maybe I should permanently relocate so I can be a more regular guest. Yeah, that, that would be uh, nice, although we need you here <laughs> in America. Now, uh, Michael, I was reading some of your, your writing on this subject. What made you choose to go to Poland to do your repo- reporting on this war from there? It seems like it was sort of a spur-of-the-moment decision. Well, it was. You know, I felt sort of inept uh, just remaining in my apartment <laughs> in the northeastern United States, while the story uh, unfolding on the ground is really happening in you know, Eastern Europe. And I chose Poland for a couple of reasons, but I guess the paramount one is that, you know, should there be a wider escalation? Um, should there be some sort of direct U.S. or NATO military engagement in Ukraine or um, if the war would expand beyond the confines of Ukraine in any meaningful sense, it would more than likely be uh, through Poland in some fashion, or Poland would be intensely involved. You know, I guess uh, part of my interest was piqued when the Sunday after the war began, there was this slightly strange announcement from the top defense official at the European Union. Um, in which he declared that the EU would be sending fighter jets to Ukraine. And this took a lot of people off guard because it wasn't even clear what mechanism the European European Union had to do that. I mean, the EU has been notoriously averse to really establishing much of a robust, independent kind of security slash military force under its command since it was formed. You know, around 20 years ago. Um, and so there's a lot of confusion around that announcement. And then uh, shortly thereafter, the Ukrainian Air Force uh, put out a statement saying that they were going to be using 
Polish bases, Polish air bases, to uh, launch aerial uh, combat operations uh, into Ukraine. And now, if that were the case, that would make, mean a NATO member state, Poland, uh, was pretty overtly uh, facilitating uh, combat against Russia, uh, which uh, had some pretty obvious uh, escalatory potential in my mind, you know, should Russia retaliate. But then again, you know, it wasn't even confirmed really that these uh, aerial operations were being launched from Poland because you had sort of ambiguous statements and uh, contradictory uh, explanations from the Polish officials and the EU officials and the Ukrainian officials and uh, other officials in the region that uh, uh, kind of muddied the reality of what was actually happening. So, Well, well now, um, now it's being reported that the U.S. is evidently working with Poland on a deal to send fighter jets to Ukraine. Do we know if that is indeed happening? Again, ambiguous, mm-hmm. uh, because it was it was strange that the um, Secretary of State, Antony uh, Blinken, this past Sunday, uh, went on the weekend shows and said that a plan like this was in the works, where they were, quote-unquote, backfill the Polish supply of fighter jets so that these uh, Soviet-made fighter jets in Poland's inventory could be transferred to uh, Ukraine, and then the, but they wouldn't, you know, lose all their stock. Um, and that, to, to my knowledge, has not been confirmed yet by the Polish uh, Ministry of Defense. Uh, seems like, you know, people are reluctant to admit outright. You know, it kind of jives with what I've heard from regular Polish individuals, which is that they want. Um, they seem to want some measure of increased action against Putin, uh, but it, it's not really in as much in the kind of culture here for th- them to be kind of actively proclaiming their own intent to engage in that military action, right? They'd much prefer the U.S. to do it, or um, they'd much prefer a larger uh, country to, to do it. Um which kind of is a misnomer in this instance because, you know, if uh, if whether the U.S. does it or Poland does it or they do it collaboratively, it still impinges on NATO, right, which has a collective defense treaty. Um, and uh, but nonetheless, you know, there's a I, you, you, you do detect a bit of a reticence to kind of come out, come out and just say that, yeah, Poland's going to facilitate these combat missions. Um, but now- uh, There's sort of a paradoxical element because you know a lot of polls that I talk to, and this kind of spans the political spectrum. Um, they they they're they're convinced, and you know the, the same goes of Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian Americans, and Ukrainian refugees that I've spoken to in the past couple of days. They're all utterly convinced that um, a wider war has essentially already began began because uh, Putin. Intends not just intends; he's you know, dead set on invading additional countries mm. after Ukraine. Now, so, um, yeah, you wrote in a, a column for Substack that you feel that Ukraine is trying to goad the United States into World War Three. 
Um, explain to me how Ukraine is doing that and explain to our listeners why that's such a perilous proposition. Sure. Well, it's not my feeling. I mean, it's what the Ukrainian officials are saying more or less explicitly. I mean, Zelensky, the, the president of Ukraine, who's now being hailed as this world historic figure, you know, the second coming of Churchill, the uh, most inspiring uh, leader that anybody could ever right. the the European imagine. Mandela, right? You know he's getting the most obsequious coverage in uh, the United in the U.S. as you know, any world leader I, I can recall. Um, what is his number one point of advocacy right now? He's advocating for a no fly zone, um, or what is called a quote unquote no fly zone. And he advocates for this day after day after day, furiously, in uh, seemingly any venue he can. He had this Zoom meeting with 300 members of Congress on Saturday where he uh, directly implored them with a what was called a, quote, emotional appeal to impose a no-fly zone. He's, he's uh, uh, petitioned Biden directly for it on multiple occasions. Um, He's uh, petitioning other NATO countries for it uh, all the time. Um, any w- media interviews, et cetera. I mean, he's, there's an all-out blitz on the part of Zelensky to demand this intervention. It's not just Zelensky. Um, you know, for example, I, I interviewed uh, two or so weeks before the invasion began a uh, Ukrainian member of parliament who is very skeptical that there would be an invasion. In fact, she at the time was much more uh, worried about uh, kind of uh, attempts by the U.S. to sort of so panic uh, about a uh, potential invasion than she was about the invasion itself. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, fast forward, and now, now she is, uh, you know, on, on, she was on Fox Business, I saw with Neil Cavuto, um, emotionally appealing <laughs> for a no fly zone. It's it's a, across the spectrum uh, in, in Ukraine. I mean, government officials, ordinary citizens, refugees. I talked to one yesterday, or not a refugee actually, but you know, a, a Ukraine-born you know, citizen of Poland, who is a or a group of them who are outside the American embassy in Warsaw, um, protesting in favor of the imposition of a no-fly zone. Okay, so. A no-fly zone, as even the most virulent hawks, like Marco Rubio in the U.S., admit, is essentially the initiation of World War III. Marco Rubio, of all people, who uh, is not the most... Uh, right, he's not exactly a peacenik or an isolationist. Not, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, he made a point to go out on the, uh, the interview circuit on, on this past Sunday and uh, say that you know, look, a no-fly zone means World War Three. He said it bluntly. Okay, um, and that's what the Ukrainian uh, the Ukrainian position is. That's what they're lobbying for. So yeah, they are trying to kind of emotionally compel the U.S. into uh, instituting a policy intervention in Ukraine that would constitute World War Three. I mean, I don't know why this is a controversial statement. All you need to need to do 
in order to understand that this is the case is look at what they're saying. Look at what they're advocating for. And, but there's such a um, you know, like a good guy versus bad guy, like a morality tale uh, uh, that's been kind of erected around this war right now, especially as it's depicted in the U- U.S. media. That I mean, you, you can't say that for some reason. I mean, this, is, this isn't to say that you know the Ukrainians are uh, right. Nobody's saying the Ukrainians are the bad or, guys. Uh, even you know they're advocating for their own best interests. But if the logical conclusion of that, based not on what you're saying, but on what Senator Rubio is saying, is World War Three, which I completely understand. What well, if, I mean, I almost, I almost put, hold on. I mean. Is it really in the best interest of Ukrainians for well, no, World War III? I, I mean, I, I think that's in the absolute worst interest of everybody on Earth. So yeah, I don't even well, that's fair. That that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I can't argue with you there. Now, what does it say to you? Now, everything you said makes perfect sense. I've spoken with military leaders, uh, former diplomats, policy scholars uh, on the left, on the right, libertarians, so forth, all of whom agree that a no-fly zone makes absolutely no sense. And and again, as you point out, interventionists like uh, Marco Rubio, he says a no-fly zone means World War III. What does it say to you, Michael Tracy, that a poll came out uh, just in the last day or so that shows 74% of Americans support right. the idea of a Ukrainian no-fly zone? I mean, at some point, we we might think it's a bad idea, but don't three-quarters of Americans I don't know. Don't we have to, in a democratic system, don't we have to listen to what three-quarters of Americans say? Well, I mean, it certainly has an effect on how politicians calibrate their positions, right? Um, so you have a number a number of Congress persons who I think are probably aware of the, the extraordinarily perilous implications of a no-fly zone trying to, like, finesse their uh, their proposals, like uh, Brian Fitzpatrick, who's a Republican congressman from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, and uh, who is, you know, I, I think a co-chair of the Congressional Ukraine Caucus, or you know, deeply involved in Ukraine issues in, in the House. He he called yesterday for immediately admitting Ukraine into NATO. Right. So he's not necessarily calling for a no-fly zone, but. He's calling for admitting Ukraine now, right now. He said, I think he said within a week into NATO. So if Ukraine becomes part of NATO, right, then, then we're we're the bound. Let say it would be under. Oh yeah, so it's like the same effect, right, as a no-fly zone. Um, uh, but you know, the fact that public opinion has shifted in favor of a no-fly zone is because a number of things. You know, maybe people still genuinely don't understand what a no-fly zone entails because it's a euphemism. I mean, there's a it's a deliberately crafted euphemism to mask the actual consequence of the policy. Um, it sounds like benign and humanitarian, right? Oh, you're just asking Russian jets to please not fly as though there's no enforcement mechanism entailed there, which would eventuate in the shooting down of Russian jets and active war between, uh, between the U.S. and Russia. Um, but it also suggests that the the total unanimity of the kind of tenor of the media coverage on the subject, mm. left, right, center, everywhere in between, is having a real effect on public opinion. And why wouldn't it? I mean, if it, this is a 24-7 topic that's hyper-emotional, 
um, where you have a hero that's been anointed in Zelensky and then the broader Ukrainian you know, resistance or what have you. And you have an arch villain in uh, Putin. And the uh, kind of the moral uh, fault lines have been very starkly drawn. And, you know, most Americans aren't that in tune with the the, the details of like uh, military tactical tactical military uh, policy. So you know their that their their instinct is just going to to be on the side of you know goodness. Um, you know I think uh, a really important element here is to recognize how cross partisan the sentiment is. And I think that's a very dangerous sign. That you know it's not just a partisan issue in the U.S. in terms of supporting this. I mean, the, the, the pollster Reuters yesterday reported that the 74 percent of Americans favoring a no-fly zone is pretty evenly distributed right. across Republicans, Democrats, and independents, right? So once, if you have that kind of consensus uh, building um, where, you know, I think liberals have their own reason for being uh, really staunchly in favor of this, you know, Putin had been christened as this um, – you know, uh, right. Ideological you know, villain, villain, ideological villain against uh, uh, of theirs who's like against liberal democracy and is trying to foment, you know, right wing insurrectionism all around the world um, and installed Trump into office. Right. Who, you know, kind of broke their brains for four plus years. Um, and then you have, you know, Republicans who just have this kind of uh, visceral uh, latent uh, militarism that can be kind of brought out at any time, but particularly as right. you know, so the, the older generation. This appeals to the instincts in war. of both wings yeah, yeah. of the uh, of of the political spectrum. I totally get that. Now, yesterday, the Russians uh, spelled out the terms by which this war could end. They said that uh, if the Ukrainians, one, recognize that uh, the Russians control Crimea, Two, they recognize the independence of those two breakaway republics, uh, republics Donetsk and Luhansk. Um, at three, that they remain a neutral country, not getting any international blocks like the European Union and NATO. And four, that they demilitarize, that this war could end. Now, nobody likes to um, reward a bully uh, that is uh, as aggressive as Putin seems to have been with this war here, but... If you look at the lives that this war is costing, if you look at the refugee crisis that this war is creating, if you look at the inflation and energy crisis that this war is creating, do you think that the Ukrainians should think about taking a deal like this? Well, you know, one tragedy of this is that the terms set out there yesterday, and who knows the authenticity of that statement. I mean, it could just be a you know, a sort of a ploy and some of these so-called peace talks about opening humanitarian corridors and stuff have not seemed to really have been that legitimate um, over the past uh, 10 days or whatever. Um, but the, the real tragedy of all this is that, you know, that those terms are pretty consistent with what would have come about as a result of the Minsk agreement. Right. Which the which uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia and uh, France and Germany were party to, all the way back to 2015, but was never implemented. And what what was what is a key reason why that agreement wasn't implemented? Which, I mean, in other words, it would have given uh, quasi autonomy to those uh, breakaway or separatist uh, statelets in the uh, east of Ukraine, the Donbass, 
um, would have provided for greater protections of, uh, of the Russian language, which Putin complains is being systematically uh, kind of outlawed or stigmatized. And that is true to some extent in that you know, the, after 2014, the Ukrainian government um, that came in after the uh, ouster, or uh, some would say a coup, which I think is probably accurate, um, of the uh, more kind of Russia sympathetic president, and they, they have moved to to uh, marginalize the Russian language in a number of ways. Um, uh, but uh, the Minsk Accords basically would have uh, peaceab- peaceably implemented a lot of what those terms now are. Michael, and what is the reason why that, that, that didn't come about? Well, I think every step of the way, the U.S. has disincentivized it. I mean, they've the U.S. has flooded the country with arms. They've uh, been uh, determined to integrate NATO and the and U.S. military capacity with the Ukrainian military to do exactly what Putin said all along would aggravate him to the point of no return. And uh, even now, I mean, what are they saying? I mean, the, the senators and congressmen are digging in. I mean, they're, they after their meeting with Zelensky on Saturday, they're saying, look, this is like the last stand of freedom yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. And we have to actually defeat Putin on the battlefield. M- Michael, I, I have to end it there. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm out of time. I appreciate the, the, uh, the checking in with us. Please keep us posted while you're in Europe and uh, let us know if, uh, if, you, if you see anything. Appreciate it very much. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.